Welcome to episode 47 of the RSA Resident and Student Podcast Series, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. RSA is an accessible, collaborative organization that fosters innovation, education, and advocacy for residents and students in emergency medicine. In this episode, Dr. Haig Antablian, resident at Ronald Reagan UCLA Medical Center, RSA at-large board member, and co-chair of the RSA Advocacy Committee, speaks with Kirsty Bellardi, student at Western University of Health Sciences College of Osteopathic Medicine of the Pacific and member of the RSA Advocacy Committee. Today, Dr. Antablian and Ms. Bellardi discuss lay corporations running residency programs. Hey everyone, I am Haigain Tablian and I'm an ER resident and co-chair of the AAM RSA Advocacy Committee. And today we'll be talking about lay corporations running residency programs. Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. My name is Kirsty Bellardi and I'm a second year medical student and a member of the AAEM Advocacy Committee. So what are we going to talk about today? We'll start there. Yeah, so lay corporations running residency programs. This is kind of like a new thing that's popped up in the advocacy world for EM. There have been a lot of issues with residents or students trying to find residency programs for medicine. And it seems like this has kind of been a fix from a student's point of view, but kind of like a scary prospect from the field of emergency medicine's point of view. And I'll dive into why that is. But Kirsty, do you know anything about lay corporations running residency programs? Have you heard much about this on campus or anything like that? Actually, no. And I spoke with our club, so our EMIG EMIG club, and they also hadn't heard too much about it. In fact, when I speak with some of the practitioners, whether that's at conferences or other opportunities, they're surprised to hear that I've even heard of this. They're happily surprised. I think it's really important for students to inform themselves about this from an advocacy position, but also because we'll all be soon applying to residencies and we're really excited about the training we'll get. But it's not that like highly discussed. I think part of it is is that they do provide opportunities for students, which is a good thing. But we definitely want to delve in and make people more aware of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's let's do just that. So basically lay corporations are just as it sounds, they're they're corporations that hire ER docs to kind of staff emergency departments. For the history of emergency medicine, this is kind of a huge topic because it kind of led to essentially the founding of AAEM and the writing of the book, The Rape of Emergency Medicine, which James Keeney, the first president of AAEM, highly suggests um, every medical student and resident read. Essentially, lay corporations are kind of a, they kind of take the autonomy away from ER doctors And for the longest time until recently, like up to this topic, they've kind of only dealt with essentially hiring physicians. And so lay corporations now are starting to introduce residency programs, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that in about like 38 states, they're prohibited from owning or operating medical practices and kind of getting into graduate medical education. This is kind of something that's popped up in states where there are a lot of loopholes and Now we're seeing that these lay corporations are introducing full-blown emergency medicine residency programs to kind of train and then possibly hire these doctors coming out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm just going to stop you right there. I do have a a follow-up question. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing is that in a number of states, they're moving from kind of the industry of managing the hiring 
into running, founding, starting new medical residency programs, or do you mean more taking over existing ones? Right. So almost a little bit of both. Uh, that's actually a really mm -hmm. good question. We're kind of seeing the evolution of broadening their spectrum of medical education all the way from starting with interns all the way to you know retirement of physicians. Like they, they're, they're kind of spanning the whole scope of emergency medicine. With that, there's a few things that from the outside seem a little interesting when you look into it. Like why would they want to do this? Mm -hmm. And this is where things kind of start to look a little grim. Chris, do you have any idea why possibly or could you guess why? these kind of corporations would want to do things like this? So I think it's a mixed bag and I think it's who you ask, right? So I personally, when I was involved with the AAEM Washington DC Advocacy Day, this was brought up and mm -hmm. in the framework there, we talked about, you know, the pros and cons of it. And one idea that came up as well as that I've had over time is if you're going to be a future employer of physicians, why not also play a role in their training? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that would be my one option from the different perspectives that were discussed. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a good point to make. I mean, I think it's it's one that's an optimistic view. And and <laughs> there's no reason why not to have an optimistic view. But mm -hmm. what scares a lot of people in emergency medicine, especially those very involved in advocacy, is that this is kind of like an option for especially for students, we know that emergency medicine is, is competitive. It's getting more and more competitive. Mm -hmm. This kind of opens the door for students who definitely want to go into emergency medicine to kind of take whatever options they have. This kind of allows them that option. And the other thing with this is that once you're kind of locked into these programs, what type of an education are you going to get? What kind of knowledge are you going to get about the politics in emergency medicine or the way that reimbursements or um, mm -hmm. the payment options in emergency medicine and who ultimately is going to hire you? Is it the goal of these corporations to kind of overproduce emergency physicians by building all these programs and hiring you for cheaper labor afterwards? There's a lot of interesting questions that kind of go along with this. But just to throw out a statistic, in some of these lay corporation-run practices, ER docs lose up to 22% of their potential fees of service. Mm -hmm. So basically, one out of every four shifts or one of out of every four hours is essentially attending working for one of these entities on the house. It's kind of an interesting statistic throughout there. So a lot of this is true American monopolization mm -hmm. you know, at its best. And then a lot of it can also be like, hey, are they allowing opportunities for students to go into emergency medicine? Exactly. Yeah, and I, to I, I totally agree. I also think that, and that was another perspective that was shared in the sense of what kind of education are you getting? You know, we don't want to say that, we can assume that it would be lacking in any way, but we also can understand that corporations would be in line with, you know, whether that's their mission statement, profit margins, as well as whether that's in just forming the best position that they can. They may be having stakeholders guide some of the decisions on how they educate. And so that's kind of the question that we want to throw out there. I think we don't want to vilify, on one hand, these corporations. We also mm -hmm. don't want to go into things being unaware. Like as a student, I know that I want to go into emergency, for example. And mm -hmm. if I have an option between a yes or a no on that career path, I would definitely choose right. the yes. <laughs> and right. I want exactly. to know what I'm going to get into. And I also don't want my future colleagues to think all of these options, whether or not they have to do with a corporation, may be bad, you know? But at the same right. time, I don't. I think that to be quality providers and to be able to really 
be autonomous, even working for a mm-hmm. corporation, it's important to be able to ask the right questions and also question the status quo if you think it's going to benefit our patients in the future. So I think it's a really important conversation that people need to have. What type of things should I look for in training programs and what type of questions should I ask? I think that's a great question. I think that few of these kind of programs publish that they're lay corporation run. So it's kind of imperative to find out during the interviews. One thing you could do is kind of ask the program faculty where they get their funding, what kind of boards their faculty sits on, are they involved deeply in lay corporation matters and committees, all sorts of things that kind of point you toward whether these residency programs are run by lay corporations. Another thing too you can ask is, where do most of your graduating residents get hired? You know, if you're seeing that 100% of them are hired by one lay corporation, then that kind of tips you off towards what this residency program might be involved in. But even to point to why this is an important matter and why things look grim more than optimistic with the production of these programs, a lot of these lay corporations are also producing one-year EM fellowships for family medicine practitioners. So it's kind of Mm -hmm. odd that you're producing a fellowship for a completely different specialty while also producing a residency for emergency medicine and kind of calling them the same. To call an EM fellowship means that you're trained in EM by their standards versus an EM residency, you know, you're also trained in EM. So is it really that you think that one year of EM fellowship is enough to staff an emergency department? Or do you you think that we need actual legitimate residency training for that? So it's kind of odd. And to me, it kind of seems that are they trying to flood the market, overproduce ER doctors to have cheap labor? There's a lot of studies coming out that shows that the amount of residents and residency programs we need is starting to reach a plateau to meet the demand. Like we don't need a ton more programs to meet the demand that's coming through, especially now with the rise of mid-level providers. I mean, we're seeing a ton of that also coming in. So we might not need to open a lot more programs. And just to put that into perspective, there were at least 14 residency programs in many states like Florida, Georgia, Michigan, Illinois, Texas, even. There a lot of these programs, 14 of them in the last three years. Yeah, wow. Makes you wonder. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting. Yeah. And I remember talking about this and learning about this a little bit last year when uh, we had actually met. And I think that on one hand, the student in me is very excited that more opportunities are coming up. But on the other hand, when you say things about plateauing and these other things that come with being in a competitive field, you don't want to finally get out of your residency and then struggle to actually find open positions. Right. You know? Right. Or And so you want the market to be open. Yeah. So it's definitely a pressing issue in that way. And with the amount of loans that we burden, you don't want to come out and be paid almost nothing for a specialty that's one of the highest in burnout. Mm-hmm. EM is not an easy field by any means. I mean, you're kind of diagnosing everything. Yeah. And to kind of work out and, and be cheap labor, after going through years and years of postgraduate training and graduate training and all these things, and just, it kind of, yeah. it's a scary prospect for a field right now that seems pretty safe. Absolutely. And I think when you're talking about this compensation, it's not even just the monetary value. It's also the the sense of empowerment. You know, you want to feel like what you're doing is valued Mm -hmm. and you also want to feel like you have the power with which to question things if you see a problem. And so um, I don't know if you want to talk about how this ties or how this could tie into our future practice as physicians, Mm -hmm. whether that's talking about due process, whether that's talking about issues that physicians have spoke about. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think so. And I think there's another aspect to that too. And you mentioned the huge ones. 
is kind of like as a physician, the biggest pride is being able to diagnose and treat to the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you need to have fantastic training. You need to be confident mm-hmm. in your training and make sure that you know that you know what you're diagnosing is correct and how you're treating it is right, especially in the emergency department where if you miss a diagnosis, it could lead to someone's death or grave disability. And so I think that a lot of students don't realize that the trend towards training with emergency medicine, it's becoming more standardized, but it's also, there are some aspects where allowing residencies to start might only need for them to meet the baseline requirements. Whereas, you know, in EM for the last few years, there was a huge talk about, should we be three years or four years? There's a ton of programs that are now switching to four years because of some studies show that the ideal is almost 3.5 years. It's interesting, but mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. that just goes to show that the fact that some of these corporations think that, you know, the one-year fellowship might be an option and not to, you know, not to mm-hmm. go down on family medicine doctors, ER docs, you know, in certain aspects can never do what family medicine doctors do, but also vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of your goal for residency as a student should be to get the best training. It shouldn't just be to jump in the residency because to be trained at baseline is nowhere near to be trained at a top institution. But yeah, the other things too that you mentioned, Christy, were like mm-hmm. the due process and things for us to do. I think the biggest place where backlash should come from for this is through students. I think if students don't apply to these programs and to, to not apply, not to boycott, but to not apply for genuine lack of interest for the way that these residencies are run, I think that's the biggest political battle. I think that that's something that would show that we don't want just uh, run-of-the-mill training We don't want to be overseen by big giant corporations in emergency medicine. I think that that's Mm -hmm. kind of the best way to take this. And of course, to always be a part of advocacy efforts. A lot of these states have laws that prevent lay entities from owning or operating medical practices like we talked about before. The fact that a lot of these uh, corporations are using loopholes is kind of um, a testament to how these residencies came to be. So just something to look out for. Yeah. Yeah. And just to add to that from the student's perspective, like we've all been in those conference halls learning about those pre-seminar events where how do you get into emergency medicine? Mm -hmm. And we've all heard that, you know, they give us opportunities. Let's say you're on the interview trail. And I've heard many times, you know, you have that residency dinner, you have Mm -hmm. opportunities with which to ask these questions because there is a chance that a corporation could be involved. But if the residents are able to iterate how they're involved and let's say, whether or not they're happy as that being a part of the residency, just kind of a grain of salt. Just make sure you're asking the right questions because you don't want to be scared of a program. You always obviously want to give your best version of yourself on an interview. And just to, I guess what our goal is, is just to inform you to inform yourself further so that when you're asking those questions, you kind of know what you're getting yourself into and, you know. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, that's, that's the thing. You kind of need to judge these programs by yourself. There's no reason to right. uh, blanket, boycott all these programs. Right, yeah. And again, a lot of them, are, it's almost difficult to even tell what they are, whether they are a corporation or not. Maybe some of them, there's a little bit of lay corporation influence. But if you're applying for emergency medicine, check out these residency programs and question all of them. Not only lay corporation on all programs you should question. Find the one that's the best fit for you. Exactly. I think you did a great job of kind of explaining that it's not a boycott. It's more of a stand up for the education you want, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's 
anxiety inducing enough. And so I think yeah. <laughs> that going at it from an area of information rather than fear is really important. And I think whatever you call it, whether you call it partnerships with corporations, whether you call it the industrial medicine machine, there's so many people that mm -hmm. come at it from different perspectives. The thing that arms you the best is having that information and being able to understand what are the stakeholders and who do you have the answer to and how does that impact the education you receive. I think it's a great topic, important topic exactly. to have. And I have yeah. another question if yeah. you had any final thoughts on that. Uh -huh. but, no, no, go for it. Okay, good. So have you heard or do you, we've talked about it a little bit, but do you know about this happening in any other specialties or how it affects other specialties? Yeah, so lay corporations are, are increasing across the board in medicine. Over the last, I want to say, 20 years, lay corporations have kind of increased. Originally, it was, you know, doctors couldn't put up with a lot of the, the you know, EHR standards or a lot of the increasing regulations in medicine. So they kind of started to group up. And then they started to slowly become either hospital-based or corporation-based with contracts. So we've seen it in, in a few other specialties. I'm not as well-versed in for instance, like family medicine, lay corporations or other lay corporations, but they do exist. Absolutely. What I do know is that with the rising number of residencies for certain specialties, for example, like radiation oncology is a good one. The job market just went away. It, with radiation oncology, there was a huge push for, you know, we need more residents, we need more residents. You know, this is a field where hospitals need us and this and that. And they overproduced residency programs to the point where you graduated and, you know, like, and, and it's a pretty competitive specialty. You graduated and you yeah. couldn't find a job. And this is still, you know, still going on with some of the radiation oncology job markets, like that you can't really find a job anywhere to practice despite all the training you just had. So for yeah, ER, really I think... heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of, it's kind of scary. For ER, I think it's a little bit lesser of an issue because, you know, we're everywhere. Uh, we're versatile. You can do fellowships in many things. You can practice you know, in urgent cares and every hospital essentially almost needs you. I think it's a lesser issue for us, but it's not something that we should not be aware of because of the fact mm -hmm. that this is a lot of programs to open up really quickly. So, you know, yeah. are the coming years going to bring a lot more? That's another question. Absolutely. And I, I want to second that in the sense that these corporations, whether or not you like them, which they, they do offer a lot and they're able to have power and they are able to have how do you say they can develop things also in a good way. So with that, they don't have to, if we're not asking questions about it, you know what I mean? So the thing is, is that like what you were saying right now, it's not an issue, but come five years, 10 years down the line, let's figure it out as soon as possible before it becomes an issue. I right. think that's a great point. Right. Especially for our specialty, which is one of the youngest in medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Totally and the good. most awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Definitely. Awesome. Um, I think. So let's talk about. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No. Go for it. Any last questions, Chris? Yeah. So I did have one. What do you suggest beyond asking questions? Where can the students go to find more information? So I think uh, our committee, the advocacy committee, which we're both a part of, I think did a fantastic job with an article titled "Lay Corporations Running Residency Programs." It's on our AEM RSA Advocacy Committee webpage. And it's, it's a short read. It's just like about a, a page long. It's got a lot of good references in there. And it talks about what exactly lay entities are, what lay corporations do. It mentions the rape of emergency medicine, which I think is a read for everyone in emergency medicine, starting from the medical student upward. It kind of summarizes everything we talked about here and the fears associated with the rise of these programs. I think that's, that's a good place to start. 
Absolutely. And I think it's also really important. And like you said, I think that as students, we have a lot of power. We have the power of asking questions and no one's expecting us to know everything. So this is a really good time for students as well as obviously residents and physicians and many other people affiliated with the field to ask these questions Mm -hmm. because a lot of our other providers are also affected and to have these conversations while it's still a safe space to do it. And I think it's great. Right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Christy. Well, thank you for, for everything. All right. Good luck, everyone. Perfect. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. For more information about RSA, please visit our website, www.aaemrsa.org. Listen to all podcasts in this series and explore the ways you can get involved with RSA. Join us again next episode for another topic of importance for emergency medicine residents and students.